0: You're listening to the We Are Limerick podcast. I'm your host, Keane Reinhardt, and join me each week as we meet the people of Limerick who are making it the place it is today. You can keep up to date with all Limerick news by following the hashtag keeping Limerick posted across all social media channels or visiting limerickpost.ie. So for this week's We Are Limerick podcast, uh, I'm joined by Don Meskell, not in studio, but we're out here in Castle Troy Park Hotel, which it might sound a bit busy in the background. Don, thanks for joining
1: us. Oh my God, I'm delighted to be here. I love this hotel, actually. It is isn't lovely, it? isn't it? it yeah. all
0: friendly as well.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and my mother, my mother actually um, <laughs> likes this hotel as well. She's got great taste. She's 96 this year.
0: Ah, nice she ones, likes uh, to come
1: in here for coffee. It's a is nice isn't age, up, isn't it? Brilliant age. Oh, yeah, she's yeah, a, Really, she's an inspiration to all of us, you know. She's um, She raised us all after my... I have eight sisters and two brothers, so there's 11 of us. And she raised us all um, after my father passed away when I was 10 so she's just an incredible person to be around and great sense of humour well read just a great James and I were, were hanging out with her yesterday we went for lunch and
0: so James is a guitarist yeah James period. and I are over
1: doing some promo at the moment and um, yeah we were hanging out with my mother yesterday what a wonderful afternoon and we ended up down in the World's Inn down in Castle Connell and went out on a Sunday drive because the f- funny thing is one of the songs on my record Lighthouse Keeper is called Sunday Drive and it was written specifically about those days when we as kids would go off with my mum and dad on a Sunday um, and it was kind of funny because mum and dad would pick all of these different destinations that we'd like with cousins and Thurlis and um, people we knew in Kilma- cousins in Kilmalach and all of that but we'd always end up in Killaloo <laughs> so it was nice to go on the Sunday drive yesterday at my moment you know. uh,
0: how was it growing up in a house with 8 or 11 brothers and sisters
1: well you know it was a small house um, I of course because of the the um, the different ages in my family it, almost my family came in two generations so I guess when I came around even my, my older sisters were you know one of them was already married and stuff like that so so we didn't have 11 of us there <laughs> at the same time but it was great you know it was but a wonderful a family unit it must be yeah a wonderful support. family unit and even now we're all very very close you know um, and um, and you learn a lot from that, you know, you, you like even on those Sunday drives, you you know, you, you learn so much from being with your own siblings and, and stuff like that. My father, Lord have mercy on him, he was very much into the hurling. And of course, I'm from a hurling parish, Ahan. Mm-hmm. And my dad was, you know, a selector on the Han team and all. So he made hurlies. So like you couldn't get, <laughs> you couldn't get closer to it, you know, and I'm still hurling mad, even though I haven't lived in Ireland for um, probably 25 years now. Pretty much every second day or third day I'll be outside my own little recording studio in London um, with the ball and the hurley, <laughs> hitting the ball against the wall, you know what I mean? To clear my head, like that's yeah, that's yeah. what I do, you know. And I'd
0: imagine with the way technology has changed, you're able to keep up to date a bit more with it as well.
1: Yeah, well, I'm lucky I have a great... Um, Great bunch of people around me, and a great engineer, uh, Miguela, Italian chap, and um, who now also plays hurling. <laughs> so he goes out and hits the ball around with me, you know. Um, so you're trying
0: to convert everyone. So you need to go. convert
1: people to hurling. I think all you have to do is is you have to have that moment where you connect with the ball just once, and then you're addicted. It's a beautiful thing, Harlan. You know.
0: I think I get the same with uh, golf. You know, okay, I go out
1: yeah. and I play terrible,
0: but hit one good shot and I'm that's happy. I, you know, you
1: forget about it on the balance, don't
0: you? <laughs> exactly. yeah. yeah, life's like that, isn't it? So, uh, Don, go- going back to your past, how did you first get involved
1: with music? Where did it come from? I think really, um, my biggest influences really from music were my older brothers and sisters because you know that's what happens when you're in a big family like that. You tend to end up listening to whatever they're listening to. Um, so I guess um, um, actually my older brother Tom he had great taste in music so he, he kind of inter- when he went off to Rockwell um, he'd come back you know you'd come back every kind of third or fourth weekend and he was in catering college in Rockwell I ended up going to Rockwell as well but that's another story <laughs> but he would come back with these wonderful albums of Jim Croce and Cat Stevens and um, I know one of my other sisters then like Neil Young and Crosby, Stills and Nash so like there was all of these albums knocking around probably cassettes to be honest Um, so that's what I grew up listening to and my older sister Brady used to take um, Tom and I to Sharkin Island every year as part of her summer holiday and we got to listen to Radio Luxembourg and of course that had such a big influence on me you know those, those songs and it's funny you know because some of those artists that I ended up working with later in life um some of the legendary kind of rock and rollers, but that's where initially the, I think, American singer-songwriters, Richie Havens, Cat Stevens, well, he was English, I think, but um, Joni Mitchell, of course, Bob Dylan, you know. And
0: um, in terms of a first musical memory, is there one that stands out?
1: Well, my father, um, before he died, I vaguely remember listening to Joseph Locke, and after Dad died, there was a, um, you know, we had a record, player at home and I started playing all of these old Joseph Locke LPs and I think that's why in some of my writing I can, I find it quite easy to write kind of crossover classical that type of song because I think that was a strong influence on me those those sort of albums Um, strong musical moments I mean I think those, I think those early albums, um, certainly Joni Mitchell, Blue Um, I, I remember specifically that being somewhere in our house on a cassette and spending hours listening to that, you know, in, on repeat. Because that's what you did when you liked a the song then, you just kept repeating, you know. Um, and I think an album like that still stands the test of time, so maybe that influenced my songwriting. And I think Joni Mitchell too, she wrote from in a very emotional... Um, Yes,
0: has that really, uh, bluesy voice
1: that stands out as well. No, uh, and, and, uh, so, so she wrote in a kind of a conversational, but, but quite being able to release her emotions in the lyric, you know, and not kind of censoring it. And I think that really was a, a huge influence on me. And even now when I'm in the studio, I listen to a lot of that stuff. And then, you know, what happened was um, there was one artist in particular that I loved at that time was Richie Havens. And isn't it funny, you know the universe is all giving I think and that really was a a magical moment for me in my career I had moved from Limerick to London to kind of embrace being a singer songwriter Um, because I had been playing in pubs around County Limerick and Clare and, and you know doing quite Successfully, you know, I was playing six or seven nights a week, but, but I had to. I started writing my own songs, and it was very hard to convert that audience because, you know, if you're in a pub on a Saturday night, you want to hear American Pie, <laughs> and you don't really want to hear a song about how I feel, yeah. you know. So when I moved to London in the, um, in the 90s, I started playing singer songwriter nights, and it just original music, and that was tough. You know, I was, it was very, very tough. And then out of the blue, I was um, given the opportunity. I received a phone call from the Mean Fiddler, and I used to play up there. It was a venue up in um, Harlesden, And I got a call out of the blue asking me, would I be interested in opening for an American folk singer? And... And the person that was on the phone really—they weren't even quite sure who it was. They were kind of saying, "You know, he's, he's a black African American, Haven's Richie." And I thought, "Oh my god, <laughs> that is my biggest musical hero." Um, and that was an incredible thing for me because I was almost afraid to turn up at the gig yeah. because I was so afraid to meet him mm-hmm. because I had imagined him to be this, you oh, know, or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, Jesus, actually, he was, he, he was. If there was gonna be a Jesus, it would be like meeting Jesus. Yeah. So I turned up in the main room, the main fiddler, and um, I was actually too shy to even approach him. And he approached me, and he just said to me, "You must be done
0: because
1: <laughs> they had sent down a couple of my songs, yeah. to him, you know, to approve." And um, it must be nice even before that to know that he listened to your music. I know. And then you know what happened was it was the, it was a it yeah. was a, a beautiful yeah. moment. Richie at the time had this he had developed this technique of before he went on any show or any festival, he would play in the dressing room with his band, whoever was in his band, and everybody would join him and then he would take that show and put it on the stage, so that we're all into it you know, warmed up and all that because sometimes when, you find when you're you a performer, it's that first one or two songs, it, you're kind of breaking in the audience and yourself but he would have already done that in the dressing room so he invited me um, to spend time with them in their dressing room and I did. And we that were all. Experience, like, well, it was really strange because you know that my biggest um, mentor or, or musical influence was him, and I'm, I'm in his dressing room, sitting beside him, while he's playing. And it was just a, a real life change moment for me. I'll and, always remember it. And when you were moving to London, did you ever imagine in your head? I you couldn't work? have imagined yeah. that because that would be like yeah. someone who was into Elvis you know, sort of it just didn't seem achievable and and the most incredible thing happened. I'm sitting beside him and he, he played a song and his guitar player said a song and he, actually his tour manager played a song too. I remember that guy, he had kind of crazy eyes. And then Richie just turned around to me and he said, Look, will you play a song? And and you know, I was kind of in shock and I went, okay and I, I took a lyric out of my pocket that I had in my in my um, jacket pocket, and it was a song I had just written. I mean, written it a few days beforehand. And you always feel as a kind of a songwriter that your best song is your newest song. Yeah. You know, that's the thing you gotta, you know. Um, so I put the lyric on the floor, and he was really laughing at the fact that I was taking this lyric out. You know, I think he could <laughs> relate to me, you know. And I put the lyric on the floor, and he closed his eyes, and I played him the song. And when I finished it, he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, "Please allow me to record that on my next album." He said, that's one of the most incredible songs I've ever heard and it was just it was almost too much yeah yeah there was a, there was a moment when I was thinking when well, someone pinched me because this can't be true first of all to meet him second of all for him to be such a a nice guy even nicer than I could have imagined and then third of all I play him one song And he said, please let me record it. And it's our most recent one. Yeah, and and he recorded the song. And not alone did he record it. He played it at every festival, almost every gig from that point onwards until he passed away. And each time he would recount the the moment where he heard the song and how he knew me. And then I opened for him in the States. And he took me up to Woodstock, the village of Woodstock, which is about 10 miles away from the original site and I just had these wonderful times with Richie and, you know, I played in New York and he would come to the gigs and be kind of singing back in vocals from the audience. It was just like, it was all... And, of course, musically, he opened all of those doors in America for me and, really, he is sort of responsible for my career because without that first cut on such a big artist at the time, yeah, yeah. I don't think... Or certainly, my road would have been a lot longer, you know, and, uh, yeah, I was very sad when he passed away it yeah. was
0: a, but I, an icon it's nice making that journey over to London to start a career and then you get a
1: break like that it, it doesn't really yeah, happen for came fast uh, and funnily enough because the next thing that happened pretty much in the, in the, in the same month or two was I had written yeah. this song about um about kind of missing home and missing family life and missing Sundays and you know um, and, and it was called um, Road to Glory and you know, really, one of the first songs that I'd have kind of written. And um, what I did was, I, um, I had a great friend from Shannon, actually, John Reen, who had some kind of a contact with Christy Moore, or Christy Moore's management. And John suggested when he heard the song that I should send it to Christy Moore. So I sent it to Christy via his manager. And um, Christy had just recorded, I think, King, King Pop that album. Um, so I missed that opportunity because the album was done. And then his manager, who then became a dear friend of mine, Maddie Fox, he suggested that I would... Um, he said, you know, could, could I have permission to record this with another artist that I'm managing, who is Eleanor Shanley. And she had just left Adonham, a traditional Irish band. So I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it was the first single from her solo album, and it, it really received, was really received well. And, Bit of a hit for her,
0: and as a songwriter, um, so you you take the time to write these songs yes. the way that you like, and then yes. you hear someone else perform them. What
1: does that feel like? Um, you know, it depends on the performer. I think I'm so far down the road now. I mean, you know, if I, I can be totally honest at this stage of my career, where there have been times where I felt. I felt disappointed by the performance of an artist that had covered the song. Not from a kind of a musical performance, but more from the point of view where I'm not sure they understood what the lyric meant. Mm -hmm. But then with people like, um, you know, um, some of the artists that cut my songs, some of them have just... I remember when I wrote Too Late for Hallelujah for Aslan, for instance, and I went to number one. You know, Christy... I was always a fan of Aslan but Christy Digan had had that ability that's that's kind of lacking in a lot of artists at the moment, where they can interpret a song, whereas you would think Christy wrote it, yeah, because he'll make it his own. Mm-hmm. Now Richie did that with people like um, Bob Dylan songs and George Harrison songs, and um, he could interpret a song and and then he would sing it in a completely different way to the artist or to the songwriter that wrote it but he would make it his own and that is a skill that's <laughs> such an art you know and there's a handful of people I've worked with over the years that have that and it's um, Cliff Richard just cut one of my songs and you know he has made, he took that song and he turned it into a Cliff Richard song that only he can do that it's his turn of phrases it's his timing and he can he can just bring his own magic to it where some artists you know they tend to just bring the song out and read the lyric and that Mm -hmm. that sort of is a tiny bit disappointed you need to take a a meaning from it I think so study the lyric you know because I think whereas with a lot of uh, certainly with the songs that I write I put so much time into the lyric Mm -hmm. that that's um I remember there was an American Idol once they did one of my songs and I was so disappointed. <laughs> my publisher phoned me up and she said, have you heard it? And I said, I've heard it and I never want to hear it again. <laughs> I said, can we take it back? And she said, no. It's done. Uh, it's done. It's out there forever. But you know, that's, it's not, not all the time. Yeah. So there are great people. Um, yeah. There's some great artists out there. So, so today uh,
0: you got to visit your old school out in Newport and you told me a story just before we started recording about... Uh,
1: about our, my, te- my old teacher, yeah. Teacher Mary, the recorder. <laughs> Mary Ryan. yeah, Mary Ryan, bless her sweetheart. So I, 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 I went to um, St. Mary's in Newport. At the time it was known as St. Mary's Convent in Newport and they just built the new school. And, um, you know, there were some subjects that I had absolutely no interest, in. but I was very interested in history, I was very interested in art and, of course, I loved music. Um, but unfortunately, um, in first year, the first instrument that I was handed was a recorder. No, I don't know, <laughs> I don't want to sound bad for anybody who plays recorder, because some people play recorder beautifully. But to me, a recorder is probably the worst sound of an instrument there is. I mean, it's just one of those things that instantly I get a pain in my head and I don't get pains in my head, but, but I disliked the sound of it so much. And I think Mary could tell. And she said to me, um, in her wisdom, she said to me, um, it's not really working with you in the recorder, is it? And I said, no, not really. And she said, well, look, she said, there's a set of drums up in the storeroom in the old school, in the old school. And she said, here's the key. Now she said, here's the thing. If you can put those drums together, you can be the drummer in the school band. (laughs) So today, when I was up at the school, um, I reminded her of that, and she remembered it, and we were laughing. Because I did manage to put them together. My my father's a mechanic, you know. Yeah, so you have to be a bit mechanical too <laughs> with drums. So I got the drums. But but I wasn't a great drummer, to be perfectly honest. So she'd she'd be tapping with her with her um, pen on the side like of a the desk. You know. Yeah. To try and keep me in time, you know. And how so, did that go? Yeah, well you know I, I, I played drums on all the little school concerts and mm. it was a great way of getting out of class. Nice way to be good confidence as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, she's but, a lovely lady. I'm so blessed to still know her. And uh, there was a certain reason why you were visiting the school
0: today. It wasn't just to reminisce.
1: No, I mean, um, um, I think two months, two or three months ago, I, I was. It was. I was. I was delighted, and honoured to be asked to do um, nationwide with Mary Kennedy. And and you know that TV show. Um, the, you you tend to go back into your own parish and you know it's, uh, with your family and all that. So we had a lovely day of filming with my own house with my mother and with the choir and then up to Newport School and all of that. And um, uh, they were so lovely. And, of course, Newport Choir from my old school, they also performed with me last year at UCH. Um, and they are again this year on the 16th of November. So so it was very kind of connected, you know. So I, I took the opportunity of kind of presenting Mary and the school with them. Um, um, a number one disc so Lighthouse Keeper when it came out last year it went to number one on the Irish Independent Charts so I just felt it was an, a kind of a nice thing to do um, giving something back you know and it may inspire um, a young songwriter or singer um, <laughs> certainly you know it's a hoover it's a in the nice place. background it's great. music it's great there, to be back know? in Ireland it's
0: a hoover <laughs> yeah. so um In more contemporary projects you're working on, you had a project come to fruition in the last couple of months.
1: Yeah, you know what, it it had been something that I had been working on for probably about six years, five or six years. Um, In the late 90s, I was introduced to Henry McCulloch. Now, Henry McCulloch would probably be one of the most well-known Irish rock guitarists. Um, Some of his history would have been he was the only Irishman to play at Woodstock. Which is all kind of tied into, because then I started working with Richie Havens, but, but Henry played at Woodstock with Joe Cocker and the Grease band. He's from the north. Um, he, um, he was also in wings, with Paul McCartney, um, and in many different outfits, probably played some of the biggest stages in the world. I mean, he, he, he's some people's the most legendary guitar player, really, you know he's a very unique style. And I was introduced to Henry and we just became friends and we used to have these very long, interesting conversations on the phone as musicians do about the industry and about rock and roll and all of that. And then over the years, if I was over doing a solo tour or if I was over to do so, I would always do something up north and Henry then would come along and play electric with me guitar. So we had this and... And on the other occasion, I would stay up in their little cottage up in Bally Money, and they called it Bally Wonderland. (laughs) And it was just the most amazing time. He, um, just to be in the company of somebody of his stature, you know, and um, his wife Josie used to keep all of these exotic hens and um, peacocks. So Henry and I would be sitting in this sort of back kitchen with, you know, like a conservatory, but kind of a lean-to. Um, playing guitar and looking out at the world as it passed us by, you know, and, and writing songs and writing little tunes and some of them we kept and some of them we didn't. And So, fast forward through all of that, um, Henry um, became quite ill in 2013 and we had kept in touch all of the time and um, they, were, they, they hit on hard times and um, he really didn't recover mm. from a heart attack and, and he had other complications and stuff, so instead of him being taken to a hospice Josie brought him home and he he kind of survived for about three years you know but it was it was difficult times you know um, it, and it was difficult to visit him too because he was deteriorating and all of that so I just came up with the idea of, of trying to help out because he was my buddy and it was it was hard to watch it so I um, I thought if I could create some sort of an income stream for Josie because we all knew Henry wasn't going to last you know yeah. and and um, so um, I went back through some stuff that I had written with early, with Henry, you know. But that would have been, you know, probably written eighteen years ago, nineteen years ago, you know. And, and I found one particular song, and I thought this has something. So my journey became began while he was still alive um, in 2013 um, by starting the process of recording the song. So I had been co-producing an album for the Decca label in London at Britannia Row Studios and the artist that I had in the studio had a connection with Nick Mason so he had come in Nick Mason from Pink Floyd he had come in to play on um, two or three of the songs that I had written for the record and um, so he came in and over lunch we were discussing Uh, he was asking me about my career and I was mentioning Richie Havens and stuff and he had met Richie and all of that and then I mentioned that um, you know, Henry McCulloch was a dear friend of mine and that he was quite ill and he said he didn't know that he was ill but he he remembered Henry so well because Henry was in a band um, called Era Apparent and they toured with Pink Floyd in the early days so they were all great friends and then he told me that Henry was actually on Dark Side of the Moon a speaking part yeah. And, and I thought that was beautiful because that was the universe stepping in and going my god the connection is there yeah. so I told Nick of my plan and I said look I'll send you on the song so, tell me what you think so a couple of weeks later or whatever I sent Nick on the song and um, he came back and he said I would dearly love to play drums on this because I loved the song we all loved Henry and you know so um, that big be- that was the start of the journey nick mason from pink floyd was the first person that i invited to play on it um, And sure, then henry it went was on happy, from did it. Didn't yeah, you know he was it
0: was bringing people together
1: yeah and henry was was just really you i know he was uh, happy because that's i i think you know i knew that of my connection but of course he at that stage was fading um, and even though I would try to keep him updated on the phone and all that, he couldn't really speak and all of that. And so it was, it was hard, you know. Um, so I started with Nick and then the list went on. I reached out to um, Albert Lee, the guitar player, because I knew he had a great connection with Henry and I knew at one stage Albert had done stuff with the Grease Band and George Harrison and Henry had done as well. And, of course, I had known Albert from um, his... He played with Emilio Harris, so I, I used to see him in Nashville quite a bit, you know, when i go to see her. So I reached out, and he, I sent him on the song, and he said, Look, I love this song, and I loved Henry. Can you wait a month or two, and I'm going to be touring in the UK? So got Albert into the studio, and Albert played on it. And what I loved particularly about Albert's playing was, I think he played it very much like Henry would have played it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was amazing. And then I went from that point onwards, um to um, the current lineup of of McCulloch's Fusiliers as I decided to call ourselves and everybody seemed to like that you know and um, so the next really on my list was Paul McCartney so I reached out to a friend of mine Dave Robinson who you know who's a legendary kind of music mogul in in the UK who started stiff records and Irish guy great guy great man more great buddies took him for dinner you know, waited until the main course, a couple of glasses of wine, <laughs> and I said, here's... He said, why am I here? And I said, here's why you're here. So I told him the plan. Played him the song over dinner on my, on my iPhone and said, look, this is myself and Nick Mason. This is the very early beginning of it. And he said, Don, I love that song. He said, I think Paul would be honored to play on it. And um, that was incredible because, you know, I'm a huge Paul McCartney fan. So um, three weeks later... Paul McCartney was playing on the song, you know, and I thought, well, this is pretty incredible, you know. Was that another Richie Havens moment? You think? Yeah, it was a Richie Havens moment. I mean, I was a huge and still am a huge Paul McCartney, George Harrison, all that era. But that's the, you see, here we go back again to my youth because this was all the stuff that I was listening to. So this made sense, you know. Um, Albert Lee, when he came in, he said, look, you know, he said, what else do you hear? And I said, well, I hear Hammond on it, and he said, well, you know, you got to ask Chris Stanton, because Chris was in Eric Clapton's band and also, of course, in in Joe Cocker and the Grease Band for a while and had, and had played George Harrison and stuff like that, so I mean, Chris played the most incredible Hammond on the track and keys um, At the at the early stages, one of the people that I, I reached out to sing it, because I knew he was quite friendly with him, and it was Joe Cocker Now, I had a connection with Joe Cocker, because I had opened for Joe a few times. I did a couple of shows in the Hammersmith audience and stuff like that. So I had a wait to him. Um, after a couple of weeks, they got back to me. I sent on the track, and he's kind of PA, sidekick or whatever, Ray, Neapolitan. He said, you know, Joe, the world doesn't know this yet, but Joe's quite ill. And um, But we're hoping that he'll make a full recovery. Well, unfortunately, he didn't. Mm. Um, he had a mild stroke, but then Christmas that year he passed away, which was, you know, it was incredibly sad, really. Another one of those legendary icons was gone, you know. Um, so I waited for a while, I kept working on the track. Um, I think my next port of call um, was, um, well, we, of course, see, I'm, I'm trying to do all of this while I'm trying to keep my day job as well, because I'm a songwriter, you know, yeah. so basically, you know, um, I was trying to keep my publishers happy, I was trying to do all the stuff that I've got to do to make a living, so I would work on this on evenings and weekends, but there would be weeks that I wouldn't do anything on it, and then I would pick up the the thing again. So fast forward a a year or two, um, my publisher actually once, um, Dave Lauder, said to me, where are you with the Henry McCulloch thing? And I said, well, you know what, I'm I'm kind of at a standstill because I really need a singer. Um, I need a specific singer and I needed to be somebody who knows what the lyric is about and, know, and who has lived every line in the lyric. And he, we were having a and t up in North London one evening, and he said to me, what about Gary Brooker from Parokel Haram? And then, you know, I remembered, if there was one song that I had heard on repeat when I was in Sharkin Island when I was a kid, those summers on Radio Luxembourg, would have been definitely White or Shed of Pale. Because it was, you know, you couldn't turn on the radio at night without that song. Coming
0: yeah. Pretty so,
1: important vocals in that. Yeah, song. just the most incredible song, incredible band, and I wouldn't have had any connection really with them, you know. And and Dave, my publisher, said, you know, I know um, Gary Brooker's manager quite well, and he said, I think this would be the perfect match. Mm-hmm. So um, we, Gary, was on tour at the time in Switzerland. And um, I, um, we sent on the song, a rough mix of the song, and within a couple of days he was back on. I love this, I love this song, and of course I knew Henry because you know we, to- we you know that we all toured in the same circuits and all that. So, so Gary came down to my little studio in by the river in Greenwich, and from the moment he stepped into the vocal booth, I have to say that it was just a. It was a hair-tingling moment because I knew I had the right singer. Because the minute he opened his mouth, he brought such a... a kind of a... I don't know. You know, he had lived... He had lived that story of that song. It comes back to what you were saying about people understanding the lyrics or yeah. taking meaning from it. Yeah, them. and these guys really, you know, they're legendary and they have nothing... They have nothing to prove. They've done it all. I mean, they, you know, they've done it all and they have the T-shirt and they've read the book you know it's just they have so all they're going to bring is magic um he did it in two takes he he literally he nailed it in two takes and we opened his favorite bottle of wine (laughs) and then he reminisced about early proca as he sat down at the piano he played just a wonderful afternoon in my little studio and it was funny a couple of days later i didn't listen to it for a day or two because um i sometimes like to do that to let it settle you know and, and and I remember going, yeah, and I went back into the studio on, on, on any given day or whatever and I listened to it and I thought, this is wonderful. And I started singing a high harmony in my head on the chorus and instantly I thought of Paul Brady because Paul has this soaring um, vocal, you know, that he, he can hit any note, you know, and we're great buddies. So I literally picked up a phone and I phoned him right there in the moment <laughs> and I said, Paul, you got to listen to this, man, you got to sing on this. I told him the whole story of who was on it And he said, I'd love to You know, and then of course Paul brought his magic to it I reached out to Paul Carrick um, To do a little, uh, another back and vocal underneath Paul And then I invited in the London Community Gospel Choir Who I'd done some work with And as you know, they're a huge choir I could only fit about 12 or 13 of them in (laughs) in my control room and actually, the the, the vocal booth was way too small for them. Yeah. So we just put up, stuck up some overhead mics, and we played the track through the monitors in the studio, and they sang to it. And, and they just, they just, oh my God, they brought such magic to it. They're just incredible singers. Each one of those singers could be just a star on their own, you know. And um, and then you know I um, I produced it up and some more work on it and I got the wonderful Steve Lipson to mix it do the final mix and then a couple of weeks ago it came out and I think um, in a couple of days we're releasing the video for the long play version of it, and it's from my buddy you know Um, and I learned so much from it myself because um, okay I'd, I'd, I'd written that song with Henry maybe 18 or 19 years ago but you know all of these other people they played on this out of the love and admiration that they had for Henry And that's a beautiful thing in this business. Because this business, you know, it can be a pretty hard-hitting kind of, you know, um, cold business. But the more I work with these older guys, the more I understand that they're doing it for the music. You know, um, And that's where I am with that. And um, it's wonderful. Um, It's been a wonderful experience, that whole... um, And sometimes I go into the studio and I just solo different parts like I'll solo Paul McCartney's bass and, and I just listen to it <laughs> have a beer just go yeah okay that happens yeah because he <laughs> because he just brought magic to it all of them did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all of them I can't can't tell you like Fiacre Trench is a great friend of mine from Dublin you probably know Fiacre and he did all of those early Van Morrison records and the duet records and he's the most talented string arranger and string um, composer that I know and he did the strings for it. And there's that, and just like, again, just another talented guy, you know. It's a he super actually, group coming together, really, isn't it? Yeah, it was a yeah. super group, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, so um, I think the video is going to hit the kind of social media tomorrow or the next day. So Good. you'll be able to see that. It's incredible to watch Henry's journey, you know, um, right from the very first gig that he got to in a show band there's a funny story that he told me about that he told me that um he had a few cards loved to play the guitar when he was 16 or 17 and um he went for an audition for a show band because someone was leaving for the rhythm guitar player Um, in belfast got the boss in with his guitar did his few cards and they said yeah you can have the gig and he said well what is you know what's the setup and he said well it's 12 pounds a week and a seat on the bus that was important you got a seat on the touring bus and he said and a suit and I said well what's the suit about and he said well the show bands wore suits and he said unfortunately the guy that I replaced was a lot bigger <laughs> so he said the suit was about two sizes too big for me but that's, you know what I mean now, that, that is rock and roll yeah, yeah. you know I mean that is to go from there to Woodstock in 1969 to 750,000 people um that's what I like about these guys they're true rock and rollers you know
0: so uh, what's the next step for yourself Don
1: well James and I have we've had a it's been an incredible year you know we've toured in France and Switzerland and a lot of TV obviously I was absolutely humble when Lighthouse Keeper went to number one last year and, and of course that meant that we were back out Performing all the time, we did a lot of festivals this year. That the festival season is over now, and we're off to Canada um, in two weeks' time, playing over in Canada um, because the album will be coming out in Canada next year. And and is performing something that you love, or would you prefer just sitting down, writing a song, recording? Uh, You know, I had um, I had started off with the performance um, from the early days of doing covers in pubs, you know, around Limerick and County Clare, and. The Strand and Kiki and Mickey Wilson's and Milton Malby, you know, that was my, they were my regular residencies, and it was pretty much seven nights a week, you know. Um, then I started songwriting, and then songwriting became such an amazing, um, almost like pressure release, emotional release for me, and I realised that within songwriting, then that seemed to be my journey, and you know, I, I don't know what it is, but you know, I seem to the songs that I write seem to get on other people's records so I don't want to think about it too much but in 2006 I made a record, I signed a record deal with um, an American label called Curb Records and I didn't enjoy the the journey, I didn't enjoy being the front man I didn't enjoy maybe I didn't enjoy the intention attention. I just didn't it wasn't for me yeah. at that stage so I shied back from it and then I got seriously kind of involved in songwriting and that's when the Backstreet Boys caught and um, Rascal Flats and Lone Star and all that, they all... That was working as a songwriter, yeah, mainly in Nashville. Um, but, you know, I kept my hand in over here with Boys and the guys from Westlife and um, some of the Irish artists like Brian Kennedy and Francis Black and all those kind of people in the High Kings. But writing to me, you know, at least now I'm kind of looking at it as a little gift that I was given. And you know, before I kind of took it for granted, I don't anymore. I enjoy it. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm, every song that I write, I'm trying to get it on the record. I'm not, that's not me. I, I, I'm writing it because I love writing. And I've realized that over the years, when I write, I'm, whether I'm co-writing or whether I'm writing on my own, I'm very much in the moment. Um, and that's difficult to do. And there's a certain calmness that comes with being in the moment in life, because our lives are chaotic. If there was anybody watching us from another planet, we're rushing around doing this, doing that. And even for the last week, I've been in Ireland, James and I have been up and down the country doing TV, doing this, doing that, and getting to the hotel and going to bed and getting up, and then you know what I mean. But when you're songwriting, you kind of block out all of the almost like interference that the world gives you. And you're very focused in on... I certainly get very focused in on the lyric. And I I can do it naturally. I don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that brings its own sort of reward and calmness. To have the song at the end of it is brilliant. But I actually love the creative process. I like the fact that I can block out the fact that I'm not thinking about the mortgage or thinking about something else that I have to do before a certain time. So there's a certain amount of... um, you know, it's kind of therapeutic, you know, and um, and I like that, and I'm very grateful for it. And whether the song ever gets on the record, it's, it's, it's not my focus. There are other people that are really good at that job. I'm, I have a great team around me, publishers and song pluggers and managers and all of that, and I let them worry about that. I'll write the song. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, you, you left Limerick all those years ago too.
0: Perform your own songs because yeah, yeah. and yeah, because you were back in UCH last year. Yeah, performing your well, own yeah, songs. yeah, I just, to the well, I,
1: I, yeah, I'd was. come back over the years, you know, to Dolans yeah. and all of that. But I, but you know, Limerick is important to me. You know, it's where I'm from. No matter where you go in the world as you get older, you always need some sort of a. Um, it's almost like your natural um, compass yeah. will always bring you home, and that's where you feel most comfortable. Mm-hmm. So it was the most natural thing in the world for me, after going on my journey, to to bring my music then home to where I'm from. Um, and at the time, you know, when um, a couple of people had been discussing about the show that I was going to put on, this was last year, and everybody said at the time in London, no, no, you got to do it in Dublin, you've got to do it in Dublin. And I like, flat refused. I said, yeah. no, I'm not doing it in Dublin, I'm not from Dublin, I don't have anything... I don't have anything against Dublin but I'm not from Dublin and if I was from Dublin that's where I would want to do the show so to I followed them. them I said we're not doing it unless I do it in Emmerich <laughs> and they said well it's going to be harder to do it I said I don't care <laughs> that's where we're you know we just have to get the artists to come so last year was an incredible evening I, I enjoyed it so much and my buddies flew in from Nashville and from all over the place to perform with me and this year I'm so excited because this year I've invited a whole new bunch of people um, and, and I can't believe they're coming, you know what I mean? It's like, wow, because <laughs> you invite them and you think, well, I wonder would they even turn up, turn up for that, you know, and this year um, the lineup is just like... Because I don't really think about that. I don't think about the people I work with. I, I tend to move forward with. Like you can't rest on what you've done before. It's nice to be reminded of it, the odd time or be asked about it. But you know, you tend not to focus on it because I'm I'm am I'm, I'm now focusing on Canada.
0: Yeah.
1: And what I have to do, you know, to make that work and and other little projects that we're doing in, in the studio. So. Occasionally, it's nice. I mean, we did a songwriting workshop in the INEC the other night, and I hadn't looked at my own show reel for a long time. And I kind of sat there in the audience before we went on. It was on, and I thought, "Oh my god, the journey (laughs) I've been on!" You know what I mean? Because, like, I I took a moment just to sometimes you forget to reflect. You kind of do, you know. So I'm trying to. It's one thing I'm trying to change now as I get older. I'm trying to enjoy the moment more. So this this year at um, at uch is special because we have um we have some of my best buddies mike reed is flying in from nashville and mike and i have written for so many people over the years you know so many songs and of course mike is a grammy winning american songwriter who wrote among others he wrote one of my well in my top five songs of all time that i would reckon are the five best songs of all time paul mccartney's is in there by the way but I, I Can't Make You Love Me is one of my favourite songs, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Mike wrote, I don't know how many number ones. <laughs> and we're great buddies. So Mike's flying in from Nashville. Um, um, the, the wonderful Gary Brooker, of course, from Procol Harum, is coming in. Um, and he's... <laughs> we're going to perform um, Live Long Rock and Roll, the Henry McCulloch song that I wrote with Henry. Um, who's coming to... Paul Brady, of course, my buddy, who, got, who sang on. Now, Paul was there last year, but Paul... <clears throat> I just said, look, Paul, you sang on the song, you better come this year as well. And he said, okay. (laughs) Um, Brian Kennedy is here this year. Um, Brian was going to play last year, but of course he was quite ill. Um, So I'm really looking forward to seeing Brian again because he's a great buddy. My Francis Black is coming this year. and Francis and I go right back. I mean, literally, Francis was the first Irish recording artist to record my songs. And I think over the years she's recorded maybe I think it's maybe 10 songs on yeah. different albums so she's a dear friend of mine so she's very excited it's nice to have that connection with people yeah well, well it's always yeah. the connection with yeah. me you know I only invite the people I like <laughs> <laughs> um, who else have we got we've got um, oh, my friend Greg Sutton is flying in from LA now Greg used to be in Bob Dylan's band he's probably one of the best bass players I've ever heard um, but also, he's just an incredible songwriter, and we've written a lot of songs over the years. So we're, he's coming in; he's he's a real character. You know what I mean? You would know he was involved in his mm-hmm. band. He's flying in from LA. Um, Will Robinson is flying in from, as you know, from Nashville. And Will is a, a number one songwriter from Nashville. We again, our connection goes a long way back. We're all friends, you know. And then there's something different, you know, There's a Chinese operatic singer that I've been working with in my studio, who's a, you know... It must be nice to work with all these different yeah. styles. Styles. Yeah. You know you know what I've always felt? I've felt that in songwriting, that it doesn't have to fit into a particular genre. Mm-hmm. I think a good song can cross genres. That's what I've found, you know, I've, I've, I've written songs over the years that maybe could be done by a country artist, but they could also be done by a classical artist. So I think if, if the lyric is honest and strong enough and the melody is strong, then anybody could do the song. So, and then we've got um, the Kouragawa Singers, which are a local um, choir who are just incredible, um, and their choir master, Timothy. So I'm really looking forward to have a rehearsal with them tonight. I'm really looking forward to that. And then, um, yeah, it's gonna be a wonderful, wonderful evening of music um, and uh, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody now. I probably, I probably am. <laughs> It'll be easy oh, to yeah, forget Oh, yeah, Fieber Trench is coming down um, from Dublin as well, and I think he's going to perform on something. And, of course, I have my school choir, Newport St. Mary's, who did it last year with me as well. That must was, be a great experience for them. I think that's why I invite them, because I think the kids get so excited about the University Concert Hall. You know. i sure there's empathy there as well, because you were a music shooting down I said to them this morning you know anything that I've achieved in my career is so achievable for any of them you know that's the thing you know if you have a dream follow it that was my thing you know I was writing my little songs upstairs in that little cottage outside and listen to Gry and little did I know at that stage that those songs would lead on to the career that I had so you know they're dream on that's what I said because it's out there you know you just gotta Decide you want to go for it. And, um, yeah, so it's been a it's been a wonderful journey so far. You know, um, UCH. I love the way that it's in November as well because it's the this year has been an incredible year and and it's a nice way to end the year. You know, um, and um, yeah. It's be great.
0: Hey Don, thanks very much for your time. Thanks so uh, much. Where can people keep up to date with everything that you're doing?
1: Well, you know what, I I guess. I'm embarrassed to say, you know, I guess it's social media and all that, so I have various things up there. I suppose there's a website which is donmeskill.com, which I think is important. Um, you know, I, I try to keep that updated, and then of course there's Instagram and Facebook and all that kind of stuff, Twitter, <laughs> whatever all that means. Brilliant. Right. You know, I'm just a person who writes songs. Don, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much, It's a pleasure.
0: You've been listening to the We Are Limerick podcast. For more podcasts, visit limerickpost.ie forward slash podcasts. And you can keep up to date with all Limerick news by following the hashtag keeping Limerick posted across all social media channels.